Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 192. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are joined by two of our very good friends today. Kelly from Carman Kismet Design. Hi, everyone. And her husband, Pat. He's got an Instagram roller coaster review guy. How are you doing today? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? We're hanging in there. We are so excited to be sitting here talking about Thor Ragnarok as we get ready for the release of Thor Love and Thunder. So I'm going to throw a curveball at you right off the rip, okay? Your first time on Monoreal Radio, and I'm already breaking the timeline, even though that's Loki, but we're going to break the timeline (laughs) a little bit here. Um, When we sat with you to talk about getting you on to talk about Thor because you guys are Thor fans, nobody wants to talk about the Dark World. We did it because we had to last week. What is it about Ragnarok? Because immediately when we said you want to do Ragnarok or the first one, like in unison, you were like Ragnarok. What is it about this film that separates it from the original? Because I feel like this is like the universally loved Thor film. I'll let you go first, Pat. Yeah, I think that Thor uh, Ragnarok was just a much more fun movie. They kind of leaned away from some of the Shakespearean writing that was in the original comics and in the first two movies. Um, Taiguchi is just a very different director, and he was able to let the actors and actresses have their creative freedom and put a different take on Thor, which was just a much more fun experience. Yeah, um, I mean, I love Kenneth Branagh, so I have to give him a nod for a great job on the first Thor. But I think that Taika Waititi really got the comic aspect of it, and everything was so colorful. It felt like you were really kind of in those pages of the comic book. So I think just really great film in general, and one of our favorites in the MCU. For me, this one actually reminds me of Tim Burton's Batman with that amazing balance between a flashy, colorful comic book film and the serious dark undertones it doesn't get necessarily as dark as the later batman movies christopher nolan's batman but nothing gets darker no. than christopher <laughs> nolan's batman movies. that's very true um but i think that's where the draw is for me here is that it harkens back to like those earlier 90s comic book movies well, we are very excited to finally delve into this one. So we're going to do this one as a linear review. We've done the last few as linear reviews because, as a lot of you know, these Marvel films really kind of just get all over the place, especially in a film and a universe like Thor where you're on this planet, you're on that planet, you're in this portal, you're in this wormhole, you're kind of all over the place. So Which wormhole, Sean? Uh, we're going to get to that. I honestly had forgotten that that was the name of that wormhole, and I will never forget it again. But the question is, is this the best Thor film? Does it get you more excited for Love and Thunder, and how will it tie it all together? This on top of many other things is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date on all of the new releases. We see Thor dangling in a cage imprisoned by the demon Surtur, who tells us he can't die until Ragnarok, the great prophecy in which Asgard is destroyed, is completed. He also tells us that Asgard it is is exposed as Odin is no longer there. Thor breaks free from captivity, defeats Surtur, 
and steals his crown so that it can't be reunited with the Eternal Frame and achieve Ragnarok, the Great Prophecy. This is a very solid open. They get to the point very quickly. And if I can say the one consistent with all three of these films, including The Dark World, one of its few victories is that the pacing from the rip in all three of these films is solid and they don't waste a lot of time getting us into the action. I'm going to disagree because there's that horrible retread in the first Thor where she hits him with the car not once but twice. But... I think the biggest shakeup for me here is that we don't start on a flashback for once. This is the first film where like we don't need backstory. We're in the moment with Thor. So I can appreciate that Taika wastes no time flipping the script. Yeah, I think the one thing that stood out to me on this was that we kind of get the new kind of Thor that's going to be funny and get to the point of things that are going on right off the bat. So it's a less, I don't know, serious undertone that's going on right from the start. Yeah, and it starts with Thor talking, too. Like, Thor is narrating it, which is very different from the other uh, movies. So just having, like, him being funny is very, just a very different feel. And right from the beginning, we, we can feel it's going to be a different type of movie. I love how it goes from that nar- narration to find out that he's actually talking to the skeleton. And even the dialogue is very much different because... Um, you know, they call him the son of Odin. He's like, son of a... So you do get a different kind of humor right away. You can see where they... I I think they knew ultimately that they were going to tie Thor in with the Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think that tonally, that's where you start to see this shift here. It is the bright colors. It's the comedy. It's the classic rock that gets mixed into the soundtrack more here than you've seen in the other Thor films. This does feel almost like a sequel to Guardians more than it feels like a sequel to the Dark World. Oh, yeah. The feel is so much more of a Guardians type. Like, you could have Chris Pratt walk in, and I'd be like, okay, that makes sense in here. Yeah, that but, like, Dark fit. World, you'd be like, what, what's going on here? The other thing that they do here, it's a lot of foreshadowing. You don't catch it the first time you see the film. It's not until the second time, third time around, where you really see how blatant they were with planting major plot points within the first five minutes. So with that being said, Thor returns to Asgard to see that Heimdall is missing, replaced by Scourge, and that Loki has been posing as Odin, enjoying the theater. There are incredible cameos here. The Sam Neill cameo is great. The Matt Damon one. This, and and, and here's what's interesting, is we talked last week about how Chris Evans had to act as Loki acting as Chris Evans. You're now getting it with Anthony Hopkins. It's literally the re it's a retread, but it works just as well, if not better. The whole thing is brilliant. I mean, it's it's not just a retread, but it's kind of a satire on Tony Stark calling him out the first time that he encounters Thor. Uh, I just wish they had gotten Laura Dern to do a cameo somewhere so you have that Jurassic Park trifecta peppered in this movie. You don't need that because if you saw the last Jurassic Park film, you got the three of them together and it didn't make it any better. True story. If only thing, if anything, it only made it worse, True. unfortunately for them. Um, I have to jump in here and just out myself right now because Pat told me he was going to out me on this. <laughs> I've only, 
only seen one Jurassic Park and it was the first time like two months ago. So I'm just going to say it now. Get it out there in the open. I feel like it's off my chest now. I felt like it was going to come out in a movie that has Jeff Goldblum so prominently in it. You need to get it out there. Be honest about it. So, yeah. But Laura Dern is Star Wars. So I'm in. Before I judge you. I no, I envy her. Just stop there. You have the option to not see the rest end so badly. Well, no, that was going to be my question: is which one did you watch? The original. The original. Okay, so yeah, you're good. Yeah, All right, never stop. mind. Just stop. there's no judgment. Uh, <laughs> well, no, you could watch Jurassic World. Yeah, the first one with Chris Pratt. The first one with Chris watchable. with Chris Pratt, Christopher. You could watch that, and um, that. That is just fine. The Lost World, take it or leave it. Jurassic Park 3, skip it. And the, the, these last two, just throw them in the All trash. Right. So actually, I did pretty well then. You did Good. just fine. Perfect. You did just oh. fine. Demanding to know where Odin is, Loki takes Thor to New York to the nursing home where he left Odin only to find that the building has been torn down. Loki then disappears through a portal which leads Thor to Doctor Strange and the uh, Sanctum Santorum. And he asks why such a threat as Loki was brought to the Earth, explaining that they came to find Odin. Strange tells him that Odin is in Norway, and Thor agrees to promptly leave with Loki after locating Odin. This is a really, really good Doctor Strange cameo. And I got to be honest with you, we haven't reviewed Multiverse of Madness yet, so I'm going to hold my thoughts on that film until we sit to do it. But up until this point, we had said when we watched the original Doctor Strange that the movie dragged on, it was a little slow, the character's not totally likable, and we like him more in these little bit cameo roles than we liked him in his own title film. And this is one of these cameos where I look at it and go, God, why didn't I like Doctor Strange more? And we just watched it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's so strange that in Thor's film, Strange has the upper hand in this scene because Thor has no idea what's going on and we as the audience do because we know what Strange is capable of. Um, Here's my only issue and it, it is like one of two critiques I have with this film. I don't know that I buy that Odin is in a home or in Norway, where wherever Loki just decided to put him, and no one has batted an eyelash just simply because Thor hasn't been around. Um, so I'm not. I've been trying to think of like what an alternative could have been, but I don't know that I had a better idea for this. But regardless, I love these New York scenes. Yeah, and, and it kind of sets up a, a good timeline for what is coming next with Thanos as two people that would be key to protecting all of the stones are now missing. So the ancient one is just left because she, she died in Dr. Strange. So you're now setting up that Dr. Strange is now the, the keeper of the time stone. And then um, Odin, who would have also been able to prevent him from going to Nividalir can never say that right. And, <laughs> and crafting the infinity gauntlet. Now both of those people are, are off the board. So it kind of opens up Thanos to, make his move if it makes you feel any better i have every plot and every cast and every character pulled up for these marvel movies specifically in thor because we were sitting here watching this the other day and i said like love love hemsworth but half the time it's little heimdall like i can't understand what he is that he's saying 
So don't feel so bad that that's the one thing you tripped over. If I didn't have a cheat sheet, I wouldn't be able to do this with any of these Marvel films. It makes me feel better that I've seen a bunch of times of him going, he can't say it, so I don't feel bad messing it up either. In Norway, Odin tells his sons that Frigga calls to him and that Ragnarok is upon them and that Hela, the firstborn, is coming for her throne. And once she gets to Asgard, she will become all-powerful. Odin then dies and tells them to remain uh, or to remember this place. Remember this place in Norway. Thor, full of grief and anger towards Loki, starts generating lightning in his hands. Hela arrives free from captivity and promptly destroys Milnir. Loki calls Volstag to open the Bifrost, but Hela joins them, ejects them from the Bifrost, kills Volstag and Fondrel, and recruits Scourge to join her takeover. I love Odin's final moments here. Um, I think that this is probably a great high note for him to kind of go off on. Um, but what's incredible, and it, like... I, I'm interested to see if you find it frustrating or cheesy or if it's too much of a cheat. There is just an incredible amount of foreshadowing that is just so blatantly spoken out loud. It's not an Easter egg. And again, if if you've seen the movie the first time, you're not going to catch it. But does it hurt the film the more you see it being like they're kind of just giving away the entire plot? More or less in every single one of these scenes that opens the film. I think it's not. I mean, you know, I didn't feel like it was cheesy or whatever it may be. Just because they do talk about it as a prophecy. So you kind of know, you know, in the history that this is what's going to happen with Ragnarok. And I think, you know, these little points that they're pushing out with like here, you know, Norway. And then, you know, when they talk about Asgard as people and everything, you come to that. But I don't think it's like throwing it in your face either if that makes sense yeah and if the if the plot was as simple as this is what's going to happen i would have been more offended by that but because there is a twist like immediately after i think it's okay they don't immediately go and stop ragnarok or try and stop it i don't mind that it's leading i don't think it's cheesy my bigger issue with it is that if this was such a big prophecy i feel like they should have planted it in earlier films and granted they might not have known at this point where they were taking thor you know if he was going to have the full trilogy or if it was going to end with avengers or if he was just going to do guardians cameos they might have still been undecided but one of our biggest critiques about Dark World was that this love interest or or Sif having an interest in Thor seemingly came out of nowhere. And Odin's pushing for it because he's like, you know, you can't really take a mortal as your wife on the throne. You have somebody that's right in front of you. So they could have in- left that out entirely And if they started planting the seeds for Ragnarok at that point, there would have been more of a sense of urgency as for Odin to be like, no, you need to take this seat. You can't give it up. And it would have raised the stakes for Thor turning it down. They could have peppered this in so much earlier. uh, And that's my bigger issue with it than anything else. It seems like it's too important for them to have only heard about this now. Exactly. Like in the moment in Doomsday, as soon as she's literally going to show up, this is the first time you've heard about it. And it's kind of seems like it was like 
a, I don't want to call it a hasty decision, but you wonder why this wasn't at least planted. For all the foreshadowing we do, how this wasn't foreshadowed earlier is just kind of bizarre. Yeah, I think in general, it's just, you know, the fact that they have no idea about Hela is very interesting, considering that there are people still out there in the world that were alive when she was there. So it seems a little odd that they would have no idea that she was out there. But, you know, I don't know. It's not it's not Earth. So maybe I have no idea. Yeah. And if Odin knows he's on the way out, like probably should let someone know that this this Hela person's coming. Right. Like that seems like a, a weak plot. Yeah. Let's talk. Well, can no, I was just her? gonna say we we said it. We we have to talk about her now. I freaking love Hella. Yes. She is so cool. Like I'm really not the biggest Kate Blanchett fan, uh, but I love that they gave her the dark hair, the heavy makeup. It's so different than anything else she's ever done. I I was like obsessed with her in this film. She, I think she killed it. Yeah, this is such a departure from so many of the other things that you've seen her do. Because I remember when they announced that she got cast in it, I was like, I mean, I guess. But I'm thinking it's because, well, you know, she's that proper British, right? And and knowing how these have been to the point you made earlier, Pat, these kind of Shakespearean kind of films, like, okay, that makes sense. So not what I was expecting out of her, and it was such a pleasant surprise. When we were watching it this last time, I knew it was her, but I literally had to go and search to make sure that I was right because I'm like, I, that just doesn't look like her to me. They did such a good job with like the CGI and everything that they did for that character. Just really, I mean, she is Hella. Yeah, and to make those transitions for her to have the horns, they actually CGI'd in her hair so that it's an easy transition in and out. And I was kind of distracted by that a lot of like how good some of the CGI looked. So... I mean, I can't complain about that, so... That's the thing, right? I think, other than Guardians, probably the best CGI in the MCU, for whatever reason, it just, it's it's always in these Thor films. The CGI mm-hmm. in these films is borderline flawless. And then you watch some of the other MCU films, and it, it's, some of the CGI is almost unwatchably bad. Yes. So yeah. it's like, what is it about this universe that you, and these characters and these sets... Well, probably that's it, right? Because a lot of them are practical sets. Like, what is it about all of this that you seem to get it right every single time? And I think she's a shining example of when you get it right, just how good it can be. What I also love with her having such a strong intro, it's not just the performance. I think it was so smart that she crushes Mjolnir so early on because you know she's going to be a very big problem for Thor now. Yeah, I think they doubled down on that a little too hard, though, because she did that by crushing Mjolnir, but then immediately she kills two of the three warriors three, and I'm like, it's a little bit of overkill. You probably didn't need to do both, do one or the other, because I would have liked to see them have a little bit more screen time, because I really enjoyed them in the first first two Thors. Really glad that you bring that up. I enjoy them. I, I've been saying how much I've been enjoying them, but I yeah. wish they have they had developed them a little bit more, because you get this this sense of loyalty that they have to Thor and you know that they're, you know, regaling everyone with these stories of their battles. So you do get that history, but I just wish that they had developed the friendship and the relationship a little bit more. And to see them taken out before you get that full arc was kind of disappointing. And the other thing is, they addressed where Hogel goes in Dark World because he says that he's going to stay with his people. Now he's back with no explanation. You're going to point and out the thing I'm going to... Yep. You go for it. Go for where, it. Where is Lady Sif? 
Yeah. Where is Lady Sif this the, entire time? The supposed heir to the throne, if you're Odin. She's just gone. She had a scheduling conflict, so <laughs> she didn't show up in this movie. But yeah, I, I mean, I agree. There was It was kind of odd that they didn't even mention her at all, considering she was such a focal point in the other two movies. Or even, you know, what they did with Jane is they do have a couple of throwaway lines, not in Ragnarok, but in the Avengers where he refers to her as, oh, that's my old flame. You still keep her thread alive a little bit but to just have such a major player be gone with no explanation that is my only other big issue with this film besides why Odin is just sitting back and taking it yeah I think my biggest thing with this film is that they don't develop the characters enough like I think Hela is a great example of that where I wanted more from her and I mean they're doing so much in this film that I kind of don't you know, I, I don't take points off for it or anything like that, but it's just like you want more from it. And I think across all of Thor, that's kind of they haven't really gotten into the groove of what they're really going to stick with. So that's what I'm hoping for when we go from Ragnarok to Love and Thunder, that we're going to see a little bit more continuous stories and not just kind of these things that they decide they're going to drop off on. I agree. I feel like Ragnarok does a better job of tying to Avengers and Guardians than it does the original story and that's where you know we'll talk about this more when we get to our final synopsis at the end but I think that is something to watch out for because it's like you have this really great movie but does it pay off on what you've spent two movies developing take everything else out of it you have to land the plane with the trilogy right and that that's a good question and it's it's a good point to bring up uh, Thor eventually lands on Sakaar, a planet full of trash where Valkyrie, a slave trader, captures him and sells him to the Grand Master to be used as a prize fighter in the Contest of Champions. We also see that Loki arrived there through a wormhole and has quickly taken to the Grand Master. Hela, meanwhile, unleashes chaos on Asgard as their new queen, killing Hogan as well as Asgard's warriors, raising the dead who once fought beside her, including uh, Fenris, her giant wolf. She is truly a great villain here because you're right. I wish they would have, uh, to the point that both of you made, I wish that they would have taken a little bit of time to flesh out, um, you know, the chaos that she unleashes because it is a little too much up front. I wish we would have seen her fleshed out a little bit more as a character because she's so intriguing, but she's so good. Um, And I feel like if they would have just spent a few more moments letting her breathe a little bit. She's great here. It could have been a little bit better, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that it necessarily hurts the scene or the character either. I I just wish to the point you made before, Kelly, that they would have taken a little bit more time to develop her a little bit more other than, well, I'm the big bad because, well, you know how these films are. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of how it comes off, just a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. It's, you know, I think that a lot of it is that when that dome changes and it kind of goes back to, you know, the hella days, that that's where you're supposed to be getting the story. But, you know, that you see that for, what, three seconds or whatever it is, and that's kind of the whole story. But just to have a little bit more of that, but I agree. I mean, I think that she's still a super strong character, and it doesn't take away from this, you know, scene in particular. Yeah, I mean, she's she's very clearly a very powerful character as well. So, like, she makes that abundantly clear right off the jump. So uh, I don't have too many complaints about that. I do wish that they had developed her a little bit more and told us a little bit more about her story. But, um, you know, you have to keep these movies under three hours. So (laughs) I get it. Even if they had just done something like when she first 
reunites, I guess, for lack of a better word, with, sure. with Thor and Loki. Um, she says how they remind her of their father. It would have been nice to see, like, oh, it, like especially with Loki, because they're the same color palette, like, oh, you remind me of me. And right. because Loki does switch sides, it would have been nice for her to relate to him, to develop her a little bit more, and to maybe sort of pit Loki in the middle a little bit more than he already is, even though we know he's going to be on whatever side is convenient for Loki at this right, point. Right, I didn't pick up on this until we sat and watched this past week um, when Thor is in that chair and they're moving him through that tunnel, bringing him to the Grand Master, that they, they're playing the world of pure imagination from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I don't know how I missed it the first time, but I think that in Marvel, especially after Guardians, started really getting creative with their soundtracks and their scores. I think the only... The only thing, the only song that was maybe better placed in the MCU, just in in a in a means that it's it's supposed to make you uncomfortable, is when they do "No Strings on Me" in Age of Ultron. Oh, it's so good! But this is pretty close, and I feel like it's something that a lot of people miss. I didn't catch it the first time, and then when we were watching it the other day, I thought I was losing my mind, and I I asked you, I was like, "Is that Willy Wonka?" Um, but I think that's so fitting for the Grandmaster to do something like that. And it, it's sort of, it is a key to the audience that he's built up this whole world according to his view and what he wants. And obviously it's, there's a lot more going on there than, than meets the eye. Yeah. I think it was a great way to kind of introduce who that character is as the Game Master. I mean, I turned to Pat and I said, oh my gosh, it's Willy Wonka. And he's like, what? I'm like, it's Willy Wonka. <laughs> I've probably seen this movie 10 times before and that did not notice that was Willy Wonka. I have no idea. I guess idea. it's a childhood thing, but it's, <laughs> I thought it was really, really well done. And just the way that Thor acts, you get that humor in there too. But it's also kind of a throwback to a lot of our childhoods. So you connect to it in that way. Yeah. Him screaming at the end as the music stops and he stops the motion around him is probably my favorite scene of the whole movie. It's just really well done. It's a great cut, yeah. It is a great cut. Let's talk about Jeff Goldblum because he's introduced here. Why not? He's 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 perfection. Jeff Goldblum in this film is complete perfection. If there's one character that was better cast than Kate Blanchett, it was Jeff Goldblum. I think so. It it almost makes you wonder like how we had a Marvel movie without him sooner. Yeah, I mean, he was he was really great for the role, and you also have to remember that a lot of this movie was done off script, so a lot of these characters were developed by the actors, so um, he brought that Jeff Goldblumness to it, which was awesome, and I love how he reacted to really everything that the, I forget what her name is, the, her, his, uh, his woman that is there like helping him bring him the, the melty stick. Yes. Um, yeah. Everything <laughs> about that was perfect. What's amazing about that too is obviously the grandmaster is brothers with the collector um but i feel like the collector like that's a character that actually had to be created this is jeff goldblum just being jeff goldblum and that's the most amazing thing about him but it doesn't make it any less impactful that you just you know that these two are brothers and it's totally seamless 
And it's, you know what, it does really fit. And I said game master before, but grandmaster. Um, but well, he yeah, kind of I mean, is a game master, yeah, though, right? Know, well, you know what, I gotta say, it gives me, like, Hunger Game vibes with this whole Sakaar type of world. Um, and I just think, like, he plays it so well. But he does. I mean, it's 100% Jeff Goldblum. It, I mean, he is the character. Absolutely. And it gets even better when they start doing the projections. Like, he's wonderful in scene in that you get a sense of you can't trust him. You know that he's, like, playing it calm, cool, but he has a melty stick and he will mess you up if need be. Um, but the projections are just even better for me. I think that's my because it's because it's glitchy. And yeah. I don't know if they edited that way on purpose or if that was something that, you know, he just sort of delivered it in a way that lent to doing that. But it's just so brilliant. And is anybody surprised that Loki's here? That just Loki found his way to the top? I was just so excited when he was there. Yeah. <laughs> I think initially I was like, wait, how is he there already? But um, when they go into how time works on Sakaar, it makes a lot of sense that he would be there and already in the Grandmaster's favor. That is also one thing. I mean, like, yes, they dropped Sif and Jane with no explanation. I don't, I don't need this. I just trust that Loki figured it out. I, I need no story of how he got here. I don't even care how he curried favor with the Grandmaster. Like, it, it is what it is. I'm fully on board with it. The Grandmaster tells Thor that if he defeats their current champion, he is granted his freedom and can return to Asgard. Thor befriends the revel-rousing Korg, who is also used as a warm-up fighter. Back on Asgard, we learn how close Hela and Odin were until her desires became too dark for Odin to stand. Taika Waititi... He's he has cameos in most of his films. He, I think he gave himself a bigger role in this than he's had in his other films, and I'm totally here for it. He, I love him as as Korg. The whole thing is just phenomenal. Like, why wouldn't you pick that role for yourself? If it's me, I'm totally going with Korg. Yeah, I think when it was originally written, it wasn't supposed to be such a large part, but everyone just loved the character so much. Uh, like on the crew and everything that they they kept him in and they made it a more expansive role um there's there's really nothing better i love the scene where uh loki comes down to talk to thor and uh he's piss off ghost and he's running after <laughs> like there there's never a time that that will make not make me laugh i love the role reversal in that scene too where loki is the one that's fully aware of what's going on and uh He's trying to tell Thor, like, I'm sorry, I, I can't just bail you out, you know, for both of our sakes, I have to keep in this guy's good graces. And Thor is the one who's just defeated throwing rocks at him because he's the one who has to digest the truth now. Right. Of his whole life being built on a lie. It's such a great scene. I also love when we see Hela again. We're watching her become unhinged, and it's a really interesting kind of juxtaposition because you're watching her become unhinged, you're watching her really become more fleshed out as a character, and Kate Blanchett does such a good job with it. But then on the flip side of it, you see Scourge becoming more and more aware that he truly wants nothing to do with anything that she's trying to accomplish, but through self-preservation or confusion, he's kind of just going along with it. Yeah, you definitely see the battle in, you know, when he's making that, he's really not making a decision. She's telling him this is what you're going to do, but it is self-preservation. And, you know, I do, I actually love his character as much. It's, it's very small character throughout the film. I think that he, the man who plays him just does an excellent job. 
Yeah, and he's he's a much bigger character in the comics, but if they're gonna again, this, they have to cut some things for time. But he he did it very well. I think he played he played the character so well. It's also really interesting to see someone go into self-preservation mode and take a high-ranking position as opposed to doing it for power, which is what we've seen pretty much everyone else in in the Thor movies do. Right, right. Um, back on Sakaar, Loki tries to convince Thor that they can stay there and overthrow the Grand Master, but Thor's intent on returning to Asgard. Thor, realizing Valkyrie is of Asgard, fails to convince her to help him fight Hela, gets his hair cut by Stan Lee, and learns that his opponent in the contest of champions is the Hulk. Thor, at first, is excited to see the Hulk, but is forced to fight him when Hulk subdues Banner and lacks any memory of who Thor is. Thor eventually summons lightning to help fight the Hulk, but the Grandmaster shocks him, effectively ending their fight and keeping the Hulk as the champion. Friend from work. This should have like <laughs> not been as funny as it was after we saw it in the first trailer, but your piss off ghost is my friend from work. You know what I'm saying? Like it just lands every time. Can I make it a little better? That's, yes, you can. That's not a written joke. That was actually there. <laughs> there was a make a wish kid on the set that day. And the kid was just like, Hey, why don't you say he's a friend from work? And they wrote that in. So that was not scripted. Taika Waititi was not happy that he wasn't the one who thought of something so funny, but yeah, it was from a make a wish kid. That's oh great. Oh my God. I love that. I would have been happy if it was just Hemsworth improvising, but that is that is truly amazing. That's so awesome. That's a, you guys are invited back. That's a great. <laughs> <laughs> we did our homework. <laughs> um, but this entire scene, like it, it it's a little drawn out, but it's so much fun. You don't care that it kind of just keeps going and going and going. Well, we need to dial it back a little bit because do you guys remember what a big deal it was when they revealed that he was getting a haircut and I love that they lean into that with the character and he's like whatever you do please don't touch my hair uh but it's so jarring to see Thor like this for as much as you see Chris Hemsworth with his hair short it's still it's kind of weird well I think too he gets like you know everything is stripped of Thor so yes right you you know you lost Mjolnir and now you're losing the hair and it's like now he's put in this battle between you know him and Hulk and it's you just lose all the characteristics that do make him Thor and obviously you know that all comes into play but it's very well done I think you know you also add in the humor because it is kind of a upsetting moment when he's losing you know his hair because it's part of who he is but having Stanley in there is just excellent yeah having it be Stanley that does it is probably the only really the only thing that makes it okay (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't think it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been anywhere near as funny had it not been Stanley with that crazy contraption to cut his hair, uh, and then they they make fun of that in, in later movies too that he has his haircut. So I think it worked really well. Which is the better Stanley cameo when he's got Mjolnir hitched up to the tractor or this? Oh, I like this a lot better. I thought that was funny, um, but just that his him actually having an active role was is nice because that's not something that he typically does like. Most of his cameos are kind of throwaway, but they're funny because they're Stan Lee. This one, it was, it was really just really well written. You know what else is well written? Um, this whole "Hey, bud, sun's going down." Oh like, my God. here's the thing: like, <laughs> if you like, when you have something that repeats itself over and over again, if it doesn't land the first time, it's not gonna land at all. Looking at you, Ghostbusters 2016. <laughs> this lands the first time. 
this is the first time you hear it. It gets funnier and funnier and funnier, but it's, I think it's because the first time he says it here, it's because he's actually trying. <laughs> and because you know how soft and tender that moment is meant to be with Natasha. So hearing him come out of Thor, it just, it, it rocks every single time. Yeah, and, and having him look up with that big stupid face. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Sun's going down. It, it's, it's pretty pretty funny that's what i love about it because i actually interpret it completely different i i feel like he's grasping at straws because he doesn't want to get beat up anymore and um i i think he's just desperate to try anything and hope that it sticks speaking of getting beat up my other favorite moment in this scene is loki's comeuppance of (laughs) thor knowing what it feels like to get hulk smashed puny god it is the best. I just, I mean, I love Loki in this in general because I think, you know, you see where he's, and like you were kind of saying where it's, you know, Thor, it was always that he was, you know, he was the brother that Loki wanted to be. He, not that he looked up to him, but, you know, he was envious of him. And now Loki's sitting up here in the box watching this all happen and he's kind of looking at his brother like, now you know what it's like to be me. And then, of course, you know, it changes, but it was like, oh, Loki got his, got his due here. Yeah, it's another one where just the facial expression tells everything. The look of horror on his face when he sees the Hulk coming out of the tunnel is is awesome. It's... Yeah. He goes, I got to get off this planet. <laughs> I have one teeny tiny minutia critique before we move on. Okay. Um, the only thing that's not working for me is the semi-estranged relationship that he has with Hulk. Because... I, I know that he's sort of in self-preservation trying not to get beat up at this point. But... What's not working for me is that Thor and Hulk have more screen time together, I think, than Hulk, uh, I'm sorry, than than Thor and Banner do. Because usually when it's Banner, he's off with Tony doing science-y, techie things. And when they're in battle, the Hulk and Thor have really, because they're the two biggest muscles on the team, they're the ones who are fighting alongside each other most of the time. So... I get that that Banner has been Hulk for too long here, and that's the issue, is that Thor is desperately trying to get him out of it. But I feel like the Hulk shouldn't necessarily have... I, I don't know. I don't like that he turns on him so easily. I think he lost his humanity completely. Like, I think that's what we're supposed to be believing with the Hulk. I, you know, because it's like... He's a very different Hulk than we've ever seen in other movies. Yeah, and, and this is, because of the, the complicated rights of the Hulk, this is the closest they were ever going to get to the World War Hulk comic book storyline. Right. So him being there and kind of hating Earth and everything about it, while Thor is not from Earth, he is kind of related to Earth since he is an Avenger. So it kind of makes sense, but they didn't do a very good job of explaining why he would be so angry at them. Right. On Asgard, Hela tells Scourge that he will be her executioner, just as she once was for Odin. Seeing that the sword that opens the Bifrost is missing, they set off to find it, and we see that it is in the possession of the reclusive Heimdall, who has taken Asgardians into seclusion for their safety. Um, I really like the Heimdall reveal, and I love how, in spite of everything, even when he's been cast out for it, he is always going to be Asgard first. I agree. I mean, they they said it when they when they broke out of Asgard the last time. It's treason of the highest order. Uh, so I think this is such a great reintro for Heimdall. 
I, I, I guess my biggest thing with Heimdall is he deserves so much more screen time than he gets. He's such a great actor, and the character is so strong and has like a moral compass, which not every character does have. So, um, you know, seeing him leading the people away from Hela is exactly what you'd expect Heimdall to do. I think that's our thing that we're all saying with Thor is like we love these characters so much and we want so much more out of them. But, you know, that's the strong piece of Thor, too, is that they have such strong characters. It's just... We're always searching for more of those stories. Right. You you got it, Pat. That that is what I couldn't figure out is if if they if Odin was just going to be complacent. I I said before, I didn't buy that he's in a home or he's just cast out wherever Loki sent him. This would have been the better solution is if Heimdall had him in hiding. And then they would have both gotten more screen time. And then, okay, maybe we have to part ways with Odin. We're going to see him die. It just would have been nice, nicer for him to, to hang on a little bit at a weak point, enough of a weak point to get Hela there because obviously he's the only thing keeping her at bay. So if you have him alive in the movie, you wouldn't have your villain introduced yet. Okay, fine. But it would have been nice to see them try and... And hold Hela off before Thor and Loki can get there. For sure. Um, on Sakaar, Hulk tells Thor that he crash-landed there on the Quinjet, so Thor plans to use the jet and get back to Asgard to prevent Ragnarok. Hulk tells Thor that Thor is Banner's friend, not his, and that Banner is dead. Thor calls to Heimdall, who helps Thor see what Hela has done to Asgard and tells him to leave through the big doorway to escape Sakaar. We don't know the name of it yet, but we know we're leaving through it. Um, Thor and Hulk continue to argue, but eventually reconcile. Thor tells Valkyrie that Odin is dead and Hela has returned, but Valkyrie tells him that she's already fought Hela once and she is not interested in fighting for a crown or the throne for a second time. Thor finds the Quinjet, Hulk finds him, and they see that there is a recorded message from Natasha bringing Banner back, who learns that he has been the Hulk for the last two years. With both of them missing, the Grandmaster calls for a festival celebrating the Hulk, because he knows it's going to bring the green guy back, to, uh, you know, basically expose them for where he is, because he does not want them to leave. Um, and he blames both Loki and Valkyrie for their disappearance, so they set off to find them and sort of redeem themselves in the eyes of the Grandmaster. There is so much drama here, and there's so much comedy. That's the crazy thing. It, it's so well balanced. It really shouldn't work, but it does. And it's a compliment not only to the cast, but also to Taika Waititi in the way that he directed them. I think it's a compliment to Mark Ruffalo, too, because what I was really surprised at is that he did all of the motion capture for Hulk. And I know that a lot of that comes from they are using his facial features, but it's not like with Guardians where you weren't paying Bradley Cooper to be on set every day and stand in for Rocket. James Gunn hooked his brother up with that role and he was the stand in. So I thought for sure they were going to have like a body double for Mark Ruffalo, but he, he was in it. He was in the trenches with everyone. Um, and I'm glad that they went for it because like I said, you, you get a lot of Thor and Hulk scenes, but you don't get a lot of Thor and Banner scenes. So to see this sort of buddy comedy that comes from that, and the way that they're able to balance the humor with a sense of urgency of they've got to get out of here, it's it's so brilliant. The whole thing is so well done. 
Yeah, it's just interesting to see Hulk kind of flip the switch from being a gladiator to sitting in a hot tub and making fun of Thor and saying he beat him up uh, when in reality he didn't. But it's just interesting that Hulk even has two different sides to him that we've never seen before. Yeah, I also love Valkyrie. I feel like we haven't talked about her too much yet, but I have to say she's one of my favorite characters. Um, I think that she, you know, you get that kind of window into how terrible Hela really is through her. Um, Obviously, you know, you see that she's able to kill all these people with just, you know, her own power, but kind of having somebody that was alive during that time and how much, I mean, that her, Hela was the reason that she's now on Sakaar and has left what you know we don't know just yet what she is but you know or no we do at this point but you know this very powerful very envious role that she had she gives gives it up because of Hela so I think that's really interesting and plus that she just you know kind of embraces this these group of like ragtag they're just it's just such a good team of people together do you mean the Revengers the Revengers (laughs) that is correct it's such a good name it is such a good I love that they did that and of course, it's Thor that says it because all he's wanted the entire time is to lead his own crew. He can't lead the Avengers. He can't lead the Guardians of the Galaxy. So he finally gets his Revengers. Well, he could have led Asgard if he really wanted to. <laughs> well, if he knew that Ragnarok was coming, maybe he would have done it instead of Chase Jane for a couple of movies. <laughs> Banner tells Thor that he fears that if he goes Hulk again, that he will not come back from it because he didn't even know that he had been the Hulk for two years. Thor tells him that he won't make him fight when they get to Asgard because he doesn't want the green guy to return. So Valkyrie eventually joins those Revengers after a change of heart and presents Thor with a captured Loki. They plan to escape through, here it is, the Devil's Anus, a wormhole made from a dying star. They recruit Korg to help in their revolution, so he and the rest of the prisoners arm themselves and fight their way out of captivity. Thor tells Loki that he thinks Loki would be better suited staying on Sakaar after Thor returns to Asgard, and he subdues Loki after stealing a ship from the Grandmaster's garage. More comedy here, obviously. I don't need to tell you where the big belly laughs come from, and it's not just from Korg. But it is, again, this really interesting balance because you have this comedy, and then you have Thor basically telling Loki to do the one thing that Loki's always wanted to do, and you can see how hurt and upset he is over the notion that they are going to go their separate ways. And even though he's getting what he wants, it's not really what he wants. Yeah, so so Get Help was actually all improvised on the spot and you can tell Loki breaks character a few times because uh, Chris Hemsworth just made that up during that take. So Get Help was not scripted uh, and that was all just Chris Hemsworth joking around, not thinking that was going to make it into the film, but it ended up being one of the more comedic parts of it. It's such a good scene though for like the brotherly love type of thing because like that part where it's kind of, you know, like obviously the kidding, but then also when, you know, Thor is saying like, you can stay here. But, like, you know that Loki, all he really wants is to be accepted and to find Mm -hmm. his place. And, like, he doesn't want to stay there because that means he's apart from his family. It's all he's ever wanted. I I had said, like, that's why it's so hard when you lose Frigga to see his reaction. Because no matter how many bad things he's done, he's never actually going to hurt his family. But he did indirectly cause her death. Uh, 
And that's why you really had to get him down to rock bottom in Dark World so that now we can build him back up. But it's so interesting now because without Odin and without competing for the throne because they they know that hell is going to inherit it they are tighter than they've ever been and i think that's why it's probably such a hard pill to swallow because thor is saying you know you can stay and loki probably thought this was going to be the moment of i don't have to be your enemy anymore and we actually can move forward together and thor doesn't give him that and the, the really truly heartbreaking thing about all of that is they're clearly planting the seeds and they pick that up in the Loki series, but you don't actually ever get to see Loki truly like accomplish that goal of being more than just the mischievous one, because obviously we know what's going to happen to him with Thanos. And so after all of this plays out, I actually think that this scene in particular, of all of the scenes in this movie, has probably aged the best of any... I'd go so far as to say it's probably aged the best of any scene in the MCU. I agree. And there's also, you know, kind of immediate satisfaction on it because for as much as they've mended the fence, Thor still doesn't trust him because he puts the um, the taser on him. Yeah. And, and he leaves him there. And this is the point where they should be moving forward together. So upon the Grandmaster's ship, Valkyrie, Thor, and Banner uh, leave Sakaar while Korg and the Revolution, along with Loki, board a separate ship to leave as well. As Guardians, fearing for their lives, tell Hela where the Bifrost sword is being hidden. Thor, Valkyrie, and Banner arrive to a burning Asgard. Thor, sitting on the throne, confronts Hela, who fights him and cuts his eye out, while her warriors and wolf fight Heimdall, Valkyrie, Banner, and the Asgardians. Banner transforms into the Hulk and defeats the wolf. Korg, Meek, and Loki arrive on their ship and start loading the Asgardians for evacuation. Um, I think the buildup to this scene... Throughout the entire course of the movie, like we've, we've talked about it a couple of times, how Hela could have been fleshed out a little bit better. And I definitely think that she could have been. Um, but I don't think that it hurt the buildup to this scene at all. I think that the payoff here is great. Um, and I think that it's totally believable that this is the big bad in this film. And this is where ultimately all of this is going. Yeah, I mean, it was very impactful for... for hella to take thor's eye and him basically becoming odin like they were building up to that like where thor is getting to his full power potential and they kept doing that with flashes of odin so having him kind of have the same experience that odin did of losing an eye is kind of a little bit of foreshadowing and a little bit uh just kind of you know him becoming his full potential I think it's also playing into what Kelly was saying before, how there are so many visual cues that this is no longer the Thor that we knew. And th they almost kill the Thor that we knew. And he sort of becomes reborn in this movie. Yeah, I think for sure. With I mean, you know, when Odin talks to him and has that whole kind of time where he's saying it's not, you know, Asgard is the people, it's not the place. And then just, you know, it's it completely changes how Thor is thinking about things because it was more this connection to this planet and this location where he changes that. And then it's what his relationship is with himself and with Mjolnir. So there's, I mean, it's a very pivotal point in the Thor storyline. That's my only thing though. I feel like it's 
fine that he needed his father to spell out that he's not the god of hammers. I love that line, by the yeah, way. That's a great uh, line. That he's the god of thunder and that he can do this on his own and he's been capable of doing so all along. Um, especially because at the end of Dark World, Odin couldn't give him that, that he's proud of him and he knows that he's making the right choice for himself this is now that payoff of you've always had it in you and they do get that closure but this is the third movie i feel like he shouldn't have needed that thor should not have needed asgard is not a place it's a people spelled out for him i think that to complete your arc that's something he should have got to on his own yes and no i i think like knowing him as wanting to be the warrior to defend his people you're 100 percent right but the thing is, like, this whole Asgard is a place and not a people, I, I mean, I understand what they're trying to do, and it makes total sense, but the problem for me isn't how Thor addresses it, and it hasn't, it's not how, my issue isn't how it's been built up with Thor, it all fall, falls on Odin, because it's been Odin this entire time that's, you know, a good, you know, a king knows when not to start a war. A king knows how to do this. A king knows for the, for the, for Asgard, for Asgard, for Asgard. We talked about it earlier before how he doesn't want Thor to be with Jane. He wants him to be with Sif because of Obed Asgard. So he never instilled this theory in him that Asgard is a people, not a place. It's a feeling, not a place that that kind of seemingly comes out of nowhere. I think the message is fine, but it's a complete departure from Odin and it shouldn't have been. Well, it's a little hypocritical of Odin, right? Yes. And that's why I'm saying Thor should have arrived at that conclusion on his own because he knows that Asgard was born in blood because of everything that his father did to acquire the nine realms. Right. So it should have been his own decision to be like, you know what? We're going to start fresh. We have to get these people off the planet anyway because it, it's going to fall to Hela um, or it's going to fall to Ragnarok. So it, it should have dawned on him that, you know, he loves Earth. Why not just make, make the home there? And then he gets the best of both worlds. Yeah, it's interesting because it's something that Odin hasn't talked about, not only to Thor and Loki, but obviously also not to Hela because she comes in, starts killing people immediately of Asgard so she's not paying attention to the Asgard as a people she's thinking of it as a place I almost think as we're talking about this that like it would have made more sense for Loki to be the one to say that Asgard is you know the people not the place because I think yeah Loki is yes. so much more attuned than you know Odin and Thor are you know pictures of each other Thor needs everything spelled out yes him. it's not you know they're very surface level and you know we love Thor but that is what it is it would have been more characteristic of a Loki to say something like that. Right. And because Loki's not technically, he's not of blood, right? He's not technically a part of the family adopted Ooh. in. So he is a part of the family, mm -hmm. but he's to your point, he's not thinking of it in the same context that Odin and Thor are because you're right. They're mirror yeah. images of each other. So it would have, and it would have been what a great character arc for Loki. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. Th there's your full arc for Loki is that he has declared which side he's on. And I, I mean, he, he really is always going to do right by his family. So he would be on the side of good. But that would have just been that clear line in the sand of I'm not going back anymore. I'll still be the god of mischief, but I'm not going to be the villain in your story. Yeah. And it would have made his death at the hands of Thanos Ooh. even worse because mm. his death at the hands of Thanos is 
upsetting because at this point we love Loki, but we we love Loki for different reasons than like the real like if the MCU was real, you know, if 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 the multiverse was in reality, we love Loki because we've watched him grow over the course of this of these films and we love him as a great villain. Obviously, you'd hate him in real life. So, like for us, we love him anyway. But it would have made it so much, it would have hit home a lot more if he would have had this full arc and then this happens to him. Absolutely. For sure. All right. So after seeing Odin and going through the Asgard is a place or it's a people, not a place, and that it can be anywhere, foreshadowing the beginning of the film, Thor summons the power of thunder and lightning to fight Hela off as well as her warriors. Seeing that Hela grows more powerful the longer she is on Asgard, Thor sends Loki to obtain uh, Sutur's crown to initiate Ragnarok. Scourge, showing a change of heart, also fights off Hela's warriors to buy the Asgardians time as they board the ship to escape. Sacrificing himself in the process, Loki reunites... uh, Sutur's crown with the eternal flame and brings him back. Sutur destroys Asgard, fulfilling the prophecy and killing Hela, and they all escape on the ship to head to Earth to set up new Asgard. So I think, here's my thing. We have talked at nauseum about the pacing of these films getting up to this point, and the pacing in the first movie, it's good. The pacing in the second movie is horrific. First one's all over the place, though. But it doesn't feel like it. To me, it doesn't feel like it. The movie has a runtime of under two hours, and it feels like it. Thor The Dark World has a runtime of under two hours, and it feels like it's two and a half hours. This has a runtime of two hours and 15 minutes and feels like 90 minutes. Yes. But the one thing, the one consistent is I feel like once we get to this final act, once you get to these final battles... They kind of rush through them. That's the one consistent, as good as the pacing is in this film, I feel like we kind of rush to get to the end and set them off to new Asgard with the eye patch. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like we kind of just rush to that point. I'm going to disagree, actually, because I think that, you know, for as much as we're sitting here saying that Loki could have had a little bit of a better arc if he had said it's not a place, it's a people... Um, you still get that great character moment where they do land the plane with him because the Tesseract is right there. He can grab it and he doesn't. He he helps his brother all the way through to the end. You get Banner's finer, final character moments where he does choose to help and turn into the Hulk no matter what the risk is for him. So because those things... Uh, and, and then you get Skurg's moment too. So because you've got these character moments peppered into the battles i i think it's actually paced really well yeah it's, it's funny because actually i think that they they actually do slow down some of the battle scenes with some comedy which is a nice change of pace like when hulk jumps out to to fight the wolf and he just splats on the on the yes. bridge yes yes that was not expected at all and it really kind of slowed it down but in a really good way to bring some humor into what is the hulk fighting a giant wolf which sounds ridiculous but they did it really well with adding some comedy to it. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, the only part that I would say that they don't spend enough time on is the, like, end end of it, where, you know, it's kind of coming to the conclusion. I think they could build a little bit more of that. I'd almost say, like, take a little bit out of the, um, you know, conflict moment, the 
fight that they're having and then put some extra time into that just to build out that story a little bit more. But maybe I'm just asking for too much in this movie and I just need to wait until the next one. I think to your point, what kind of stood out to me upon the most recent viewing, and I think what you're saying has a lot of validity because we've talked now for about an hour about how great Hela is as a villain and how great the character is and how we wish they would have fleshed her out a little bit more. I mean, I understand why her death comes at the hands of Ragnarok and you can only slow that down so much, but it kind of, it's like blink and you'll miss it. All of a sudden she's gone, right? You have this really great villain, which up to that point, if you really think about it was, was probably one of the more powerful beings in the MCU. And it's just like, Oh, and by the way, she's gone. Like, they didn't build up to that quite as much as I think they should have. And that's just out of respect to the character. Yeah, and, you know, I hope that she's not actually dead because they let her death happen off screen. Um, And I haven't heard anything about this happening, but, you know, in the next movie, Thor is assembling a team of gods to fight Gore the God Butcher, and Hela is the goddess of death. So it would be fitting for her to return for that, but... Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it'd be really cool to see her story arc change a little bit, too. Definitely. It's, it seems like the only off-screen death that's ever stuck is Han Solo, right? Like, <laughs> right? Isn't it like every time there's an off-screen death four years later, here comes this character. Han Solo's the only one that actually got the short end of that <laughs> stick, right? Speaking of things that happen off-screen, though, we never see Loki get back to the ship. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, my God, there's a loophole. I was so excited um, because I thought maybe he wasn't really dead, that Thanos didn't really kill him because if it was a projection, since we never see him make it on, I was like, this could totally work. But then because they have that great moment where Thor says, if you were here, I'd hug you. And he catches, you know, whatever he threw at him. He really is there. But we never see him gone on. I was like, you see everybody else make it. Why would they leave that out? It seems like a like a big plot point, obviously, that should have been there. And you're right. I mean, I don't I don't think it hurts the film that much. I think the problem is it just hurts your hope that he's not actually dead more than than more than it hurts the film. No, but what will hurt more is that if they decide like, oh, no, that was a projection and he's alive the whole time. It ruins the moment with Thor and it's just too convenient. You're no, you shouldn't have left it that open ended. Like you have to commit to it. Yeah, I think if they wanted to bring Loki back, there's better ways to do it. Because if it, if he was a projection, it wouldn't make sense that the projection would have the tesseract. So I don't. I hope. I really hope they don't go that route and say, "Oh, it was a projection the whole time." But I mean, Loki is obviously coming back at some point because he had a whole show where they're going to continue that show on. So um, there's other mechanisms for him to come back, and that would be. I, I would really be disappointed if they went that route. I also don't think they can because in Loki, he does see the end of his film at the TVA so I that is pretty final yeah uh any other notes before we give our final say on Thor Ragnarok yeah I think we we skipped past the when when they were initially coming to Sakaar uh just the other heroes that the the uh, not the collector that um the Grandmaster had yeah so there were a couple like 
pretty notable people on there, including like Beta Ray Bill, who I really hope they bring into the MCU. Uh, I think the other uh, Man Thing and Ares were all in there. So a couple of like big Marvel characters that I hope that they bring in, which they've now said are part of the MCU. So hopefully they, they get back to those characters because those are pretty big ones in the comics. Yeah, Taika did a good job at, I think, paying homage to the comics in little ways like that. So having that kind of Mount Rushmore, you know, in the building of the Grandmaster was really cool. That, yeah, we really didn't talk about that set aside from the Easter eggs. Just how amazing uh, the Sakaar set is. And they did a practical build for it. And the bright colors and, and the parade, especially when... Thor's trying to navigate Banner through all of it, and they're trying to bring the Hulk out because this is the only place that the Hulk is celebrated. Um, That whole thing is so brilliant, and I just, I absolutely love this set. It's great. All right. Are we ready for our final say on Thor Ragnarok? Because I'm glad you brought that up because admittedly, I didn't catch any of those right over my head. That's why you're here. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are the experts. So with that... We will let you go first, giving your final thoughts of Ragnarok. Ragnarok is great. It's you know it's one of my favorite MCU movies, um, probably in the top five for me. But yeah, I, I liked so much about it. I'm glad that they got rid of the horrible tone that they had with the other Thor movies and brought a character that potentially was going to die in one of the Avenger films, and they kept him going, and now he's got a fourth movie. So really happy about that. Yeah, I think it was great. I mean... It's, I, I agree, it's probably in my top five. Um, I think the only thing that, you know, I get a little upset about is that Hela is, you know, she's, we haven't seen her again yet, but I'm just holding out hope that we get her back. Yeah, I had the same note that it's in my top five. It, it is one of the best MCU films. Obviously, it's the best Thor film. Um, I think, for all the reasons we talked about before, I think, in spite of the fact that um, some of the characters could have been fleshed out a little bit better, um, I think the pacing throughout for the most part is very good. Um, Certainly much better than the second film. Um, The practical sets, the comedy, the mix. And and, and I said it before and I, and I'll say it again because I, I do think it it's, it should be worth mentioning that transitioning this into a film that feels like guardians of the galaxy just makes so much more sense because with Thor really being ingrained in that now, I'm interested to see what that means for Love and Thunder. I'm interested to see how much of a role he plays, if any, in the third Guardians film. Because admittedly, I don't know the source material like like Pat does. So I don't know if there's a Thor after Love and Thunder. Perhaps there is. Maybe there isn't. Um, we're going to find out this week. But I want, I, I, I'm most intrigued to see if this thread continues to be woven through this and potentially through the third Guardians film. I agree. Um and I, I think that's why um, I am looking at this as its own separate entity because normally, you know, you and I have been talking about this film or, or Thor for three weeks now. And this is where we would sort of give our final thoughts on the trilogy as a whole. But the thing is, it's not a trilogy. And I think that's what makes Ragnarok even better is because they so carefully pass that baton between what they had set up in Thor and Dark World and how it's going to go into the next phase. Um I think the character certainly develops the most in Avengers and and what we're seeing now because that is, I feel like, more of the Thor that we've come to know than what he left behind. And I think this film handled that so carefully as far as keying the audience into 
we're, we're leaving it all behind. We're starting from scratch, but without losing the foundation that they laid in the first two, um, they didn't completely reinvent him, but they they did enough. He he's like a phoenix in this movie, and I I think they the Taika just handled that so well. Um, I know I was a little bit critical of some of the other characters, like with the Warriors three getting killed off before we really got to know them, and Sif just straight up disappearing. Uh, but I don't think that that takes away from this being a really really great movie uh just standing all on its own i love this one and i'm so excited for for the next chapter and i believe sif is going to be in love and thunder so hopefully they will give us some sort of uh backwards explanation of why she wasn't there but yeah hopefully that is true and she is, is actually showing up again i believe you're right the only thing is it's it's like i'm very curious how they're going to handle that because it's like you are way late to the party you've been gone for quite a while <laughs> and uh also ragnarok we could have really <laughs> used your help all right well thank you guys for being our guests today we were so excited to have you here do you want to plug your social media, let people know where they can find you? Well, we, we do have our new sponsor sitting in the room, so <laughs> she definitely has to set herself up there. For sure. Yeah, so you can um, check out my art, my Disney-inspired art, at Karma and Kismet. Um, that's KarmaandKismetDesigns.com. And then I'm also on Instagram at Karma and Kismet. Yeah, and then I have uh, an Instagram roller coaster review guy, uh, just give my completely biased ratings of roller coasters with no real scale. Just really tell you how much I like each one. So check it out if you have some free time. Fantastic. And you guys know you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Uh, and we want to know what you have to say about Thor Ragnarok. Where does it rank in the MCU? Where does it rank amongst the Thor films? You can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up. I have a unique feeling that somebody's going to introduce that for us. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Hey everyone, this is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney, and when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. I have a quick story for you. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know, like everybody, I immediately went to the internet, started scouting prices, compiling lists, and uh, building my perfect vacation at Disney. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to Jackie. She mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people. So I gave her my uh, list, my itinerary. She looked it over, and when she came back to me, she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks. However, she also had new pricing associated with it. Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing. Jackie was able to beat the majority of the pricing within my list and saving me a ton of money, but she has the insight and the connections to do so. On top of that, it was stress-free, so all my vacations in the future are gonna be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it, I give her some information in regards to what I wanna do, what my plans are for that week when I go visit Disney, and she'll make it happen and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. Myself, I go into a park, I immediately hop on the next line, I get a few fast passes, and at the end of the day, I don't accomplish everything like I would want to. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Way to go, Monoreal. Keep it going. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, 
or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. And don't forget, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Kelly just gave you that website, KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. You have to see all of the services that she has to offer. All right, so we have some parks news this week in the worst-kept secret in Disney parks news just for the last few years. We know that Princess and the Frog is taking over Splash Mountain. Princess and the Log. Yes. Now we That fi- is a missed opportunity, Disney. Come on. So we finally have the name of the ride, which is going to be Tiana's Bayou Adventure, and it's opening in such a typical Disney fashion, quote-unquote, late 2024. Now, there's a couple of things to discuss here. The first being, I don't understand why they didn't just hold until the D23 Expo to give us this news. I know that there was a leak a couple of weeks ago from the actress who played the lead, who played Tiana, that it was going to be 2024. But I still think that they probably should have waited until D23 Expo, which is only a couple of months away at this point, to like show us something with some concept art, because this just kind of seems like a very blanket statement for the sake of blanket statements. Right. Well, they had released the concept art earlier on when they first announced that this was happening. I'm wondering, though, if they didn't do any concept art this time around because my guess is it would be budget, 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 and some things have changed. Uh, I didn't realize this was a slip, though. Uh, I thought they were letting the actress announce it, but I couldn't understand why they didn't do it at an official Disney event, so I didn't realize that it was a mistake. Right. So, I mean, look, it's the other thing is, Disney, when Disney gives you a very rough date, like late 2024, to me that really means 2026, because Tron. I just (laughs) can't trust that they're going to get it done on time because they don't get anything done on time. To me, if they are ahead of schedule, that probably means Memorial Day of 2025, because the other question is, why would you open a wet ride in the wintertime. I know it's Florida, but it still doesn't make sense that you would open a wet ride in the wintertime. Florida still gets cold in the winter. People don't realize that. When you and I came on vacation in November, mm-hmm. we were in beanies because it dropped down to 55 at night. That we had to buy down here because we did not anticipate it to get that cold. No, I had mine. Pa- I wore my New York clothes through the majority of our vacation because I was cold. And then when we moved down here in March, it was still 39, 40 degrees in the mornings here. Right. So I just don't understand exactly why they're going to open this ride when the weather's at its... At least when the weather's going into its coldest for Central Florida. Well, because temperature is dropping, but attendance is rising. I think that might have a little bit to do with it, uh, that people tend to come for the holidays. Uh, So they want to have it ready. But to your point, is it realistically even going to be ready? I am very skeptical when, like you said, Tron has taken so long. And that is a coaster that they have already 
built before. Um, I mean, I think for the most part, they are going to recycle the animatronics that they already have and just, you know, put the Princess and the Frog characters over them. So there really is no reason it should take that that long. And maybe this projection, they can actually hit their target. Um, I also think it would behoove them to do one coast first and then one coast after. See, like almost use one as a test run to see how long it is. And then you can give a more realistic date when it opens at the other park. I, I would hope that if you're going to redo both Splash Mountains, that you're not closing both on both coasts at the same time. But I'm also of the mentality of, you know, that Iger school of thought when we were supposed to get Cars Land in Disney World. And he said, no, why would you put a copy of the same thing at the other park? The idea is to get people to travel to all locations and then... Under the new regime, we got two Galaxy's Edges, and now we're getting two of the same ride. Well, Galaxy's Edge was under Iger. He was the one that Uh, made that announcement. Okay, fine. But my point is, and I know that there's a lot of discourse over Splash Mountain, and I'm not even going to get into that. But if they're going to redo it, why not make one Tiana's Bayou Adventure and one something else? Yeah, I I think that... I don't want I'm not getting into politics. No. Disney wanted to make it right and this was the quickest way they could make it right because I think that the pressure was on them to do it and we have discussed at nauseum that Disney goes 0 to 60 when they have to do anything in which they are apologizing. So I think that's why you're getting it on both coasts. Um, but maybe both coasts want it. I I I don't know. I mean to me I just think it's a little bit more fitting uh, for Disneyland because it's coming right out of New Orleans Square. Yeah. I think it just flows perfectly. I would like to see something maybe a little bit more Frontierland-ish in, in Disney World. Oh, you mean so that it fits the theming? God forbid. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to know what you have to say about the news this week about Tiana's Bayou Adventure. Are you excited for it? Do you think Disney's going to stick with their timeline? Is the timing of the announcement suspect to you? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.